Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You You have been been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting part two episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how you doing, man? I am doing swell. Still snow covered, but the weather is warming up. The snow and ice is dissipating, and uh, I actually saw some grass today. So looking up here, how's it uh, in your neck of the woods? Well, because of the recording nature of our podcast, some of these are going to be kind of out of order because you will have heard uh, several weeks ago about the snow and ice and everything that we were dealing with. Anyway, typical Kansas weather. Last week it was negative 15 degrees and today it was 60. So all the snow is gone and (laughs) we're back to semi-normal. Well, that's nice. I've never been a big spring person, but I'm looking forward to it this year. Like, okay, I, I like cold weather. I like snow. My favorite's the fall, but I don't mind winter. But man, I'm ready <laughs> to not be driving in snow. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm ready for spring. I mean, we've not really had a bad winter like I've had this last few weeks here for several years. So, I mean, I guess we were kind of due, but doesn't make it any easier when you're dealing with snow and ice and electricity and gas and other bullshit stuff. Because it's a second part, it's a continuation. We don't normally do a story you may have missed, and this really isn't a story. But have you seen all the people that think that the snow and ice in Texas was fake? Think about that for a second. I will be warming up my Google machine when we hit stop here, because I have not heard that. That is impressive. Yes, there are people that, and of course it runs the whole gamut from the government did it to Bill Gates did it. I haven't heard any reasonable explanations why. But, yeah, they're blaming people for weather. So there's how many million people in Texas, and several of whom you and I have talked to personally. They're Apparently, they're in on it as, as well. That's the part. If I could talk to some of these tinfoil hat wearing crazies that think this would be, you realize everybody else would have to be complicit in the act. Yeah. Like, they're not doing it to get you. <laughs> like, And it's similar kind of with, you know, bringing it back to, like, the vaccines, it's Similar to what you hear, like with the anti-vaxxers and stuff with, you know, this information, it's like, do you think that every healthcare provider, nurse, medical professional all got together at a meeting and decided we're all in on this? And not one person has swayed from that. Yeah, you can't keep a secret. You know, the old saying is uh, only one person can keep a secret. Once more, the one person knows, like, it's no longer a secret. But they think millions of healthcare workers can somehow do it. Well, it's the kickbacks, I'm sure. That's You know, I got your check this week. I mean, jokes. It must have got lots in the mail due to all that bad weather. We clarify that was sarcasm for anybody who may be, you know, listening and pull that out of context. That was, was a joke. I would hope our audience would understand that. However, as you've pointed out to me off the air multiple times, with editing, you can make me say anything. So I can't wait to hear you on 
some conspiracy network like, well, here's a podcast where they talked about it and they just cut your voice out. <laughs> they admitted to it. Yeah, okay. But this was a continuation kind of like you'd said earlier. This is kind of part two of our conversation with Jeff and Pollyanna as kind of a panel and we all got together, compared notes, compared reputable sources in regards to the COVID-19 vaccine and we wanted to get some great information out and then we wanted to make sure that we got questions answered. It was a really good episode, I think. I thought so too. And again, when you, Jeff and Pollyanna are just great nurse practitioners and great people. So to have them on the air with us, it was going to be a good conversation. And I think we covered a lot of topics, uh, questions from people out in the audience, all sorts of stuff happened in both episodes. So I hope a lot of people took something from it. And uh, Ben, didn't we add a segment due to popular demand by one particular listener? Yes, Pamela's Jen. We're going to give you all the credit in the world for it. We did start a new segment. and It was actually going to be at the end of this second part episode, a new segment called Second Opinions, Tom. So instead of us posing the question just to our guests, we wanted to flip the script and we wanted to pose the question to our listeners and wanted to get their opinions on some things, hence the name, Second Opinion. And I think that this segment is going to be fun over the next several months as we continue to explore some interesting questions, I think is, is the best way to word that. Interesting, thought-provoking, and just some of them are downright funny. So I can't wait to go over the answers and pick them apart. So if you answer something funny, be prepared to hear about it on the show. Exactly. And do, we do want that engagement from our listeners. So when we throw out those second opinion questions, please take the time to answer them and we'll, uh, we'll feature you on the show, which is always a good thing. But the places that you can find us to do that, make sure you engage with us and join the conversation. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast, our website, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, email us, reach out to us. If you want to be on the show, you want to just bullshit with Tom and I, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our other two shows for just some podcast media. We have Buried Pleasures with Polly and Amazing, and we have Nurse Papa with David. Tom, if, per se, I don't know, they wanted to help us out a little bit, what else can they do? Well, they can go to our website. They can scroll down to just about the bottom or wherever it is now, because I forget. And they can find our Amazon affiliate link. They can click on that before they do any of their shopping or add anything to their cart. After they click on that link and they add something to their cart, some of the proceeds comes back to the show, but it doesn't cost the listener anything, and we really appreciate it. So that is always something we will thank you for. Well, thank you, Tom, for thanking them, for thanking us to help. Uh, I don't know. I got lost in that. We hope that everybody enjoys the second part of our episode about the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, huge thanks to Pollyanna. Huge thanks to Jeff for coming on and providing that wonderful education that they always do. Yeah, like I said earlier, two great people, a lot of uh, good conversation. I think people are going to get a lot from this episode. Kept them baited enough, Tom. I think let's go ahead and just get into it. So we present to you the second part of the COVID-19 vaccine episode. I think you've got to be a little bit careful on how you phrase that. And you said fetal tissue. Absolutely 100% correct. Fetal cell lines can be used. In the case of the COVID-19 vaccine, came from a cell line from 1973. Yeah, I think so. What a very good year. Thereabouts. You're not injecting these cell lines into people. The vaccine does not contain aborted fetal cells. They used fetal cells to confirm that the vaccines work, meaning they tested the vaccine against these cells. They infected these cells with the COVID virus where they expose these cells that have been vaccinated 
to the COVID virus to see if the virus was able to replicate. That is not the same thing as having cellular tissue be in the vaccine. And let's go one step further. You get the religious questions. The Vatican itself has said that it is uh, morally acceptable to receive a vaccination for COVID-19, even if the vaccine's research or production involved using cell lines derived from aborted fetuses, given the grave danger of the pandemic. And that is from the Pope. And that was dated on December 21st that that came out, that they've been recognized as clinically safe and can be used in good conscience. They went on to say that if there becomes an option of using a vaccine that has not involved any use of cell lines, then that would be preferred. But right now, their stance is, yes, it is morally acceptable to receive the vaccine. Thank you, sir. So, Dom, your study? Yeah, so I'm sure you can find it in many places, but again, I usually start with the CDC. It's a study called Estimating Transmission Parameters for COVID-19 Clusters from Singapore dated January. The study was between January and April of 2020. There was an affiliation with the University of Antwerp, so I don't know how they got into Singapore, but they're there. So what it showed is that they studied multiple couples using the same... What they were looking for was the onset of symptoms. They found on average, people were showing symptoms after infection. They're estimating 3.1 to 7.5 days later. And that there was only a trans, I shouldn't say only, but the transmission rate in one group of couples was 66% and one group was only 44%. So somewhere between 44 and 66% chance of transmission, even if you live in the same house. However, 95% of the time they are saying that you, the transmission was pre-onset or pre-symptoms. So by the time you have it, or if you were going to get it, is most likely you have it before you even knew what was going on. So when we're talking about people being in the same house, you're looking at what average 50% chance of getting transition rate. So sometimes it's hard to explain to people why it's so important when you see numbers like this to get the COVID-19 vaccine. But I think education, 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 and trying to explain to them why they need to have the vaccine. And it's not just the same people in your house that when you leave your house, we want to make sure you're not, you know, passing things around then. Wait, what? Yeah, silly us. Um, let's jump into some more questions that we had. I had someone posted that they were told by a patient that since they've had the vaccine, they can still catch COVID and probably won't know it and will spread it to others. So it's actually more dangerous to get the vaccine. Any nice things you can think of for me to say next time? You qualified that with nice things, correct? Yes, I did. And that was actually, I was reading the question word for word by how it was posted. Get different patients. Well, that's not an option. The reality is no vaccine is going to guarantee 100% immunity. The idea is to give your body the best chance it has to fight off an attack, period. Does not make you more susceptible. It can't make you more susceptible. The science is all wrong to make you more susceptible because you're basically giving your body soldiers to fight off a specific enemy. And I'm going to infer from the question that it and what I have seen and some of the other research that I've seen is that if you're vaccinated, if you still get COVID-19, because that is still a chance, that you may have less severe symptoms. It's the same thing with the flu vaccine. Yes. So it doesn't, I don't think it makes you more dangerous because you're still, I mean, as far as I know, we're all still wearing masks and still trying to socially distance and wash our damn hands and wear your damn mask and all that good stuff. 
In most parts of the United States, yes, that's happening. <laughs> not all of them. No, not all of them. I would just, uh, you know, explain to your patients that you're still uh, practicing safe distancing and good hand washing, and that doesn't actually make you more dangerous. Just does help protect you. Yeah, everywhere else too. Another question I had here. Can you have the vaccine if you are currently testing positive for COVID? And if not, how long do you have to wait? 90 days. CDC says yes. Go ahead and get the vaccine. Yes. And that's what I had read too, was the CDC had said that you can get the vaccine anytime. However, they speculate there is some potential natural immunity post-infection up to 90 days. And so with the current vaccine shortage, you can extend it out for a period of time. They still do recommend getting the vaccine. Correct. I would say we also have the same recommendation as like, hey, if you've had it, you need to be 90 days post-infection, then go ahead and get it. That's what they're doing. For your best immune response, correct. That being said, if somebody has been infected and they received either the monoclonal antibody or convalescent plasma, do not get the vaccine. Wait 90 days because the immunity that you have been granted by that exposure will fight off the vaccine. Which is a good tip. So if you've gotten the antibodies infusion, you need to wait 90 days. And have you guys listened, you've heard that no pre-treating with Tylenol or ibuprofen prior to getting the vaccine? Or any vaccine. Yeah. I have a lot of moms asking me that right now. Do I go ahead and if once we get, you know, the go ahead to get the vaccine, do I pre-treat? No, no pre-treating. No, but I, I do tell them when you're done, if you do have some arm pain, yeah, you can go oh, ahead yeah, and take yeah. ibuprofen. But yeah, there's no need even to pre-treat because like with Ben, some people aren't even having, you know, the response. So don't take something you don't need. So stop doing that. Out of curiosity, why are you picking an NSAID? Pain and anti-inflammation. That's the general. Your arm hurts. That's my go-to is the NSAID. What about the argument of blunting an immune response because you're stopping the inflammatory process? I've heard that as well. Yeah, I've heard that and I've read that. And generally, that's what I just go with. I haven't seen anything that says it does. I've seen stuff that says that could happen, but I haven't seen anything concrete. And if you do know of one, tell me so I can start reading it. But I haven't seen anything that says positively, if you give ibuprofen, you're going to make it worse. I have seen don't pre-treat. And obviously, if you have pregnancy and the COG says, obviously, you can only take Tylenol. The same principle on don't pre-treat would fall with the anti-inflammatory post-COVID. For the same reason, you wouldn't want somebody who has had prednisone or the equivalent to obtain the vaccine because that you've got a change in that immune response and that inflammatory response. I don't know that there are hard data either way I know that the recommendation has been, and it's not specific COVID vaccine, but vaccines in general to avoid anti-inflammatories, use acetaminophen instead if you can. What I'd seen when I was researching that, because that was one of our questions that we had from a listener, was that with other vaccines and when they've studied that, is that it can potentially decrease the immune response. However, you still get enough of the immune response to protect you against what they're vaccinating you against. So again, it wasn't really a for or against, but more just a, like you probably shouldn't, but it's not going to be a huge ordeal if you didn't. And that's basically what I go with is, first of all, you may not even need it. So this could be a moot point. Second of all, if you do need it, take it because so far all the statistical data shows that there shouldn't be any stopping. Like you're right, there could be some blunting of the response, but it still shouldn't negate getting the vaccine. So that's just why I go with it. 
And Jeff, where are you at? Like with the histamine reaction, the, the localized reactions, I took Benadryl at nighttime. What do you think? I would look for a topical agent. Okay. Makes sense. I don't have data that support it, but the logical part of me says, if I'm using something that's systemic, I have a much greater opportunity to staunch a response. So if you can keep things local, even if you can get away with using uh, comfort measures, whether it's ice or heat or uh, massage, and I found that using that arm was far and away better than anything else I could have done to ameliorate that pain. Mine wasn't really pain so much as it was itching. I had that itch immediately after the injection, but it didn't persist. Gotcha. And again, I try and say use eyes, apply it to the ferritin area. So again, it's more of a totality of the instructions. Yes, I do say it, but like I said, put some eyes on it. Like you said, movement. Like, hey, if you use it, it tends to work well. I also have not had anybody that has had as serious a response as you two. So that's a bonus for me. It sucks for you two. Well, and we had a provider in our office who was down for the count as well. And also Moderna. I did find a study from 2016 that talks about the effect of antipyretic analgesics on the immune response that you could probably put in your show notes. The long and short of it is it looks like for on an initial exposure to the antigen, it can blunt that response, but not so much on boosters. So you might be safer to do it after your second vaccine, but on that first one. But even the second vaccine for this is really considered primary vaccination. Yeah. I think when they come out, and I know but Moderna's working on a booster now, when that comes out, I think then you're looking at it at being a little bit safer because your body has already seen and recognized those cells or recognized those antigens. Since we're kind of on anti-inflammatories and such, I did find some interesting, like frequently asked questions on the Arthritis Foundation, particularly in regards to DMARDs. People with rheumatic diseases will not be able to get any live vaccine under development for novel coronavirus. However, we don't expect that there will be any issue with non-live vaccines, um, explains vaccine researcher William Chen, chief of adult clinical studies, uh, Center for Vaccine Development and Global Health, the University of Maryland. I know of providers who are receiving immunotherapy or are on chronic monoclonal antibody therapy for autoimmune disease who did not hesitate to get the vaccine. Gotcha. I have lots of autoimmune issues and I am pretty sure that's why my stomach was affected the most, honestly, but the, the aching and that sort of thing, no joke. But I, again, like I said, I do it all over again. So rheumatologists are recommending that all patients get their vaccine as soon as it's available to them. Some DMARDs have been shown to blunt immune responses to other vaccines, such as those for influenza, pneumonia, and hepatitis B. Whether holding or delaying DMARD therapies might lead to improved vaccine responses with available emerging COVID uh, vaccines is currently unknown. And the American College of Rheumatology was set to release COVID-19 vaccine guidance early in 21, but they were stated in a December 14th statement, they anticipate recommending that all patients, including rheumatology patients, receive an approved COVID-19 vaccine. They're not getting a live virus. Uh, One of the other questions we had was, what if I have a surgery scheduled? I could not find anything in the United States in regards to surgery, but I did find something from the UK, which I thought was kind of interesting. The Public Health England Immunization Against Infectious Disease, which is the Green Book, states in Chapter 6 that recent or imminent elective surgery is not a contraindication to routine immunizations. The Royal College of Surgeons of England advises that essential urgent surgery should take place irrespective of vaccination status. Not elective surgery can take place soon after vaccination. There's some rationale for separating the date of surgery from vaccination by a few days. 
so that any symptoms such as fever might be correctly attributed to the consequences of the vaccine and not the operation. At present, there's no formally agreed upon uh, policy for prioritizing patients scheduled for elective procedures to be vaccinated before their planned operation date in England. So have you guys seen anything about surgery and the vaccine? I have not. I have not either. I do like the idea of waiting a few days between surgery and the vaccine, just so that you're able to differentiate symptoms. You don't want to be chasing a sepsis infection and it just be a vaccine response. And that only makes sense because you're going to have a pretty significant insult to the body and inflammatory response postoperatively. You wouldn't really want anything that's going to confuse people for what to treat. Yeah. Is your temperature 101 because you're going to die or we're giving you a vaccine? There are no surgeons that are not mandating that these people have COVID tests and all that before. That's never. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No way. The only experience I've had so far with surgery and COVID is when people go get that pretest and they come up positive. Woo. Yeah. They are hot. Because they're like, oh, so I have to reschedule my surgery now? I'm like, I don't know why you're mad at me. I'm not the surgeon, but yes. <laughs> so there you go. But yeah, yeah. Sorry. I do love how primary care becomes the fall guy for literally everything in the American health system. But Oh, urgent care is pretty awesome for that too. Just so you know. Don't, don't, don't put it all on your shoulders. It, it's not just you. Get off the cross, Jesus. We need wood. Wow. Last question that I seen that was posted was, if you've had Yambare, can you have the COVID vaccine? Pulling information from the CDC website, people who have previously had GBS may receive the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine to date. No cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome have been reported following vaccination among participants in the clinical trials. With few exceptions, the Independent Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices do not include a history of GBS as a precaution to vaccination with other vaccines. Cases of Bell's palsy reported in participants with in the mRNA COVID vaccine trials. However, the FDA does not consider these to be above the rate expected in the general population, and therefore, uh, persons who have previously had a bout of Bell's palsy may also receive the COVID nineteen vaccine. Interesting. Well, as a uh, a former neuro inpatient NP, I'm going to say right now that there were some really terrible things that I saw working in neurology. Gillian Bray is definitely on top of that list and you can get it from a common cold. So there you go. I mean, there are a lot of things out there in the world that we just have to think about and and move on from because if we're afraid of everything, we're never going to do anything, right? So how do you guys handle the question of, well, how long does immunity last with the vaccine? Well, if you ask Rita Wilson, you know, who's married to Tom Hanks, she was good for 10 months, her antibodies. She must have had them tested like weekly or something. Post-vaccine or post-infection? That was post-infection. The assumption is 90 days, but the truth is we don't know. And I'm that blunt. Yep, that's exactly what I say. We don't know. Here's what we're estimating. Here's what we think is going to happen, but I can't tell you 100%. Wash your hands and wear your masks. That's it. Ben, what are you telling them? Similar things. Basically, you know, it's still too early to know. As far as the vaccine is how long, how far we're going to have immunity out, uh, we're still actively studying that, but it could potentially be something that we have to get a booster of routinely. And then I kind of liken that to, you know, like the shingles vaccine or like Novavax 13 or 23. I mean, there's times we had to get boosters along the way. Like when they started giving the hepatitis B vaccine way back in the day, I remember before going to nursing school at UK, I had to have the vaccine and they told me, once you get it, you're good forever. And then long came 1995-ish. I had my first kid, 96, and they told me his vaccine would be good forever. You would never have to have a booster. 
lies. <laughs> but it just, it, you know, again, they didn't know at the time that that was going to be a thing. And thank goodness, I've never had to have a, the booster for the Hep B vaccine, but my son has had to have the booster for the Hep B vaccine. So you get some people who are not even zero converters. Right. There you go. That would be me. I've had the theory several times. and Stop getting hepatitis. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. I'll work on I'll try to do better about that. Just punch your internal organs. Why don't you start right. working now? There? So, <laughs> <laughs> someone's not holding up their end of the deal spleen. So there you go. Just keep <laughs> What are your thoughts about how the vaccine is being distributed? Uh, <laughs> Jeff put his cup down. It's doomed. <laughs> I'm looking at the statistic right now. It says globally, and this is from Bloomberg.com. So they're pretty, you know, they're reliable source. But it says globally, the vaccination rate is 4,540,345 doses per day on average. At this rate, it will take an estimated seven years to cover 75% of the population with the two dose vaccines. That's a crazy number. That's seven years. We're supposed to do it. That is a crazy number. But Johnson Johnson, I don't know that they got the emergency use authorization yet, but they're well going to be on their way pretty quick. AstraZeneca is probably going to be right behind them. What's their efficacies? Somewhere in the 80% range, I thought. 85 to 87. Yeah. Johnson Johnson was really high. But again, what they're super excited about, their one dose, they don't require the super cool refrigeration for storage. I mean, there is a lot to be said. Also, they said that AstraZeneca should help with reducing their fear of you have the vaccine, but you catch COVID, so you're still spreading it around. They're showing some data that AstraZeneca prevents you from spreading it around as much. So there could be something to said for that. But that seems to be the hopeful game changer. Like the people that need it right now, Moderna and Pfizer are great. Let's do this. But what happens when John Q. Public is due and he's like, I don't, I ain't getting no second shot. So guess what? Johnson Johnson, boom, there you go. Let's start pumping this into some arms. I think my frustration isn't so much the global or even nationwide rollout. It's how it's being distributed locally. In one county near me, public health is doing all of the vaccinations, all of them. They have a waiting list that people have been calling to get on since November. We are getting some rather hostile phone calls from older patients who would really, really like us to figure out how to bump them to the top of that list and are not very happy when we don't have any control of it. They're not very happy with public health who said, nope, you're number 1,510. I think figuring out a way to more effectively distribute locally needs to occur. A county an hour and a half away, I had a patient go into CVS and get theirs. It's just so inconsistent that it's frustrating. And a patient that I have no idea what qualification they had to get it. Well, that is one of the things I know the White House put out some information that with the bumped up production that they're having right now, that the future plan is to get it directly to the site instead of going through, okay, so the state of Iowa now disseminates it down to the public departments of health who then decide if CVS can do it. They're just going to go, are you an injection site? Then tell us what you need and you're just getting it. And I don't know how much better that's going to be because if you request 100,000 doses and you're like, by the way, the population of my county is 1,300, you know, or 13,000, I don't know what happens next with this. So 
I think that there is a lot going in that they are recognizing at the federal level that they're recognizing, hey, we need to be listening better to the people that are actually on the ground to anticipate what needs to happen. But I fear, based on what Jeff just said, there's a revolving door of problems of, well, my county says only the health department can do it, but the county next to me lets Walgreens, CVS, and Kroger give it to you. So wait a second. I need to know an answer so that when my patient asks me, I can say, you need to call there. Call this number and we or whatever the information may be. But the point is, is that it's homogenous, that we all are giving the same information because otherwise we're going to start running into this gear style problem. It's just going to be clinking over and over and over with the same problem. And there's not going to be a realistic answer to fix it. For that matter, are counties locking their doses into residents of the county? Yeah, there's just too much unknown. I would agree with that. I mean, the, the local rollout has been atrocious at best. We're close enough to Oklahoma that we've had patients who've said, well, you know, it's difficult to get it here. I went to Oklahoma, they'll put that needle in anybody and we're able to get it down there. It's so odd. And this is not on the health departments. They are doing the absolute best they can. And they are, God love them, county health nurses, they are taking a lot of heat and none of it is deserved. They are doing the best they can with the information that they get and the dosing that they get. It's just there's the logistics on rollout has been inconsistent and there has been inconsistent guidance. It's always been a a hatred for public health now. And it's not necessarily just the public. I mean, I've seen it in local politics as well, you know, with local politicians who were adamantly against the health department. And I'm like, they're your source of information. You know, that would be like if you take your car to the mechanic. And then punch the mechanic. And they say, what's wrong with it? And the mechanic tells you, and you're like, nah, I think you're wrong. Is that like every day that you're at work, though? Hello? Yes. (laughs) To an extent. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. I I looked it up on Google, damn it. I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Jeff hit this one right on the head that public health departments are catching a lot of flack other than Coffee County, Kansas. But everybody else is catching a lot of flack that they don't deserve, that they are trying to wade this water as best as they can. And instead of getting support, you know, they're catching fire. And I just really want to point out to those people, do you really think giving them more problems is going to make them handle the ones that they already have better? You know, that's you're adding to the problem. You're not helping any of the problem. And again, without trying to get too far into the the depth and complexity of this issue, I think we ran into this with no logistical infrastructure in place while there was Operation Warp Speed to get federal authorities involved in the production of vaccines. It fizzled out on the, okay, well, now we got them get them from A to B. Whoa, whoa, nobody thought that part through. Now we have some production, though it is anemic. What was ordered, what was thought to be put out, we ran into a cacophony of problems. Like it's just this cascade now of, so wait a second, this wasn't in place, this wasn't in place, and this wasn't in place. And I'm saying that in a generic because you can literally put anything in there. (laughs) Lack of transportation, lack of storage areas, whatever insert problem It's coming from the federal down to the local level. And so our local people are catching the flack for things that they may have zero control over. That's what's happening here. Well, and states are ordering doses and they're being shorted. And it does not help when you see in the news 
that some people who have a personal or political agenda about the vaccine adulterate the vaccines. That does not help the public trust at all. It doesn't help the public trust. And then not only are some states getting shorted, but then there becomes the, so we're going to let the state handle this. And then they order from the feds and I'm going to throw out some general numbers. We need 5 million doses. We'll say a state such as, oh, I don't know, Florida, who says, oh, we need 5 million doses. So the federal government goes, wait a second, you've only given out 900,000 doses. We already gave you 3 million in, you know, a week ago. Wait, why do you need 5 million now? Well, because we're out. How are you out? Like math is not adding up. And so that is creating yet another layer of not only distrust, but dysfunction. Because now they're like, wait a second, I was going to give those to South Dakota. I was going to give these to Wyoming, but now you're saying you need them. And so it's creating an uneven distribution. I know here in Washington, there was an instance that there was a vaccination group, like people who were going to give the vaccines, and there was a snowstorm that got caught in it. So there was... Yeah, I heard that story. Time was up. They had to give it. So they just started in the middle of the night calling people in to the hospital to get vaccinated. So it was really cool. I heard of one story, as a matter of fact, it was the Pacific Northwest. I thought it was Washington. It might have been Oregon that the nurses traveling with the dosages got caught. Oh, yeah. We're giving shots to the patients. Yeah. They literally just walked out to cars like, hey, do you want it? While they were sitting in the car, giving them doses because they said it was going to expire if they didn't. So it's either get it to somebody or... Makes total sense, right? I thought that was pretty fantastic. In case people out there are curious, that's a six-hour time frame, at least with the vaccine, as far as I'm aware. Once you pop the vial and mix it, you have six hours to distribute that vaccine, which is why, uh, like when they distributed to us, it was very uh, stressed the importance of making sure that you uh, kept your appointment for your vaccine because you know, we're counting doses to make sure that we get them within that time frame. So it was suggested to us by Jen, which is one of our faithful, loyal listeners was to do pose a question to our listeners and then read some responses on the air. And so we thought that that would be a fun segment. And we come up with the name Second Opinion because, you know, you see a lot of patients who want to come see you for a second opinion. So we thought that, that would be a great name for it. So our first Second Opinion question was, if you were an ice cream flavor, what flavor would you be and why? So we didn't get a whole lot of response. And so I'm hoping that maybe Jeff and Pollyanna will play along since they're here and uh, will give us an answer so you guys be thinking. Amber Jones said uh, vanilla. It's incredibly versatile. It's the base you build off of to make something amazing, or it's also perfectly plain, or it's also perfect plain. And then uh, Tiffany Thompson said Neapolitan because she likes variety and it can fit in with different crowds. It can be dressed up or just plain. So those were the two answers that we got back on our second opinions. Hopefully, as we ask more questions, we'll get some more response. But uh, I'm going to turn it on our guest here. So. Jeff, do you give me an ice cream flavor? What flavor would you be and why? So you're delicious? Rainbow sherbet. <laughs> That's for your show or not my show? What's going on here? I did not say that. <laughs> hey, Pollyanna, this is a good idea. I'm just saying. I'm lactose intolerant. I don't even like ice cream. God damn it. I didn't mean no. the ice cream question. I meant the second opinion <laughs> thing. Good Lord, woman. No. Well, Pollyanna, if you could be an ice cream flavor, what flavor would you be and why? She would be sugar-free gelatin. Didn't you just hear her? I eat avocado ice cream. What flavor would I be? Whoa, yeah. <laughs> you can't drop that bomb and then move off. Oh, my gosh. If you've never, it's there's a brand called Cado, C-A-D-O. 
I highly recommend it. Not a sponsor, but could be. Not a sponsor, <laughs> but they should be because I should, like, I've probably bought new factories for them with this stuff. But there's a mint chocolate chip that is to die for. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I've had the chocolate. The lemon is really, if you like lemon tart lemon, then that's a great ice. That's great. Because in my head, all I'm imagining is frozen guacamole. Made from healthy avocado fat. <laughs> Nerds. I understand the concept. My brain can't do it. Have you ever made chocolate pudding out of avocado? No, because I yeah, am a goddamn American. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, so I'm an American that has some digestive issues. So I can't, I am lactose intolerant and I can't eat ice cream. Okay, so what ice cream flavor would you be? Uh, what is the most popular ice cream flavor in the United States currently? Not fucking guacamole. I'll tell you that one. Yes. <laughs> I would say probably chocolate would be the most popular. I would probably say it's got to be chocolate. You think? Yeah. Look it up. You guys got Google Jesus machines Christ right in front of you. Don't you have Google? Of course I do, but I'm not going to look that up. Do you know what kind of things I look up? <laughs> what's the flavor of ice cream? It's going to be sex flavor. Yeah, hold That's on. I was going to say on my computer. That <laughs> is your segment right there. What is on Pollyanna's search history? So there you go. <laughs> That's, yeah. You don't want to know. Yeah, exactly. You have no idea. He's sex positive and she's positive. You don't fucking want to know. So there you go. <laughs> she is turning awfully red for that. Oh, I'm going to look up favorite ice cream flavors by state. There we oh, go. Oh, God. No. Let's know. We're not going to go through all 50, but Arizona. New Mexico's is hatch green chili. So <laughs> Arizona says bubble gum. That's nasty. Just go to Kentucky. I am. Let's Thank you. Because I'm sure meth or moonshine is not a direct flavor, but... Idaho's is vegan cherry. Ooh, shut the fuck up. That's not possible. I swear to God it is. That's I not swear it's vegan cherry? Vegan cherry. Oh, in Kansas, they like chocolate. Well, they're schmucks. So. Oh, most people like peach ice cream. I just wanted you to give me a fun answer. I wasn't expecting like a fucking ice cream issue. Okay. If I were an ice cream... It would be whatever would never go avocado. There you go. Kentucky, I'm going to go is squirrel. It says peach. You shut your mouth. Have you ever eaten a squirrel? I've never been to Kentucky restaurants, so no. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> like, who serves squirrel in a, in a restaurant? You're right. Come on over. That's over at Mama's house next to the outhouse. So <laughs> I, I'm really impressed that it's taken this long to get to this point in the show before, you know, lost control of shit. This was serious business, though. This was a serious show. And we have Jeff. And it's been a pleasure to be with you today, Jeff, because his messages are way awesomer than your guys's whenever we're we're doing these shows just so you know he ain't over here talking about squirrel cream so <laughs> listen tom squirrel cream not something you should say it's totally different connotation. I know I did not miss that conversation. <laughs> yeah, what she should have never said was guacamole ice cream. So there you go. I did. I said avocado. You're just oh, same difference. So terrible. No, it's not. So anyway, we will have the new thing <laughs> second opinion, and we will uh, continue to throw questions out and take some listener responses and read them on the air. So if you want your response to go out to 63 countries and seven continents, make sure you answer our next second opinion questions so anyway and what would you be yeah what flavor would you be pumpkin pie was that your like cute nickname or were you saying it'd be pumpkin pie no pumpkin pie ice cream is pretty good See, the Bell idea is to have represent. fun with this question you know it's supposed to be like one of those like there's no wrong answers for the question then how and come i got so much shit from everybody 
Because yours was wrong. You gave a condiment with salsa. Yeah. Okay. That's not ice cream. Whatever. So let's yours not, wasn't ice listen, cream. let's be sensitive to all the people that are out there that yours don't was an avocado. And don't have a favorite flavor of ice cream. So I didn't ask what your favorite flavor was. That's not what I asked. Yeah. See? I was an ice cream. Yeah. Oh, it'd be running everywhere. <laughs> it would be uni flavored is what it would be. That's what the question was is. Is this where you wanted it to go? Is this what you're expecting? No, she would be pralines <laughs> off the rail. Ending off this, the rail. Go forward, bed. <laughs> pralines. There you go. Yes. Is that because I'm nuts? You're sweet and nutty. Yes. There you mm. go. Done. Mm. Okay, Ben. Mm. You. Mine would probably be like chocolate chip cookie dough. You know, it's like you're going along. It's a nice ice cream, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you get a little something special, a little something extra. So that would be mine. Tom, yours. If I was an ice cream, it'd be moose tracks. Moose knuckles. What? I was going to say some fucked up shit. I was going to be like, is uh, clam, smoked clam a, because you don't want it and then you get it. No, I'm kidding. I think it would be mint chocolate chip. You did think it would go together, but then when you eat it, you're like, fuck, this is really good. I love mint chocolate chip. Same thing. You see my face and you're like, this guy, I don't want to hear anything he has to say. 30 minutes later, you find yourself, you know what? That wasn't bad. See, exactly the same difference. I like that answer. Guacamole ice cream. (laughs) Tom, that's a great question. I'm still waiting for one. (laughs) First of all, you're an asshole. Second of all, I have been waiting months for that one. That, my friend, is a pitched situation. I could have asked you something that would have legitimately got me to the Nobel Peace Prize, and you would have still never said it just so you could say that right there. You're damn right. Yeah. That's why I love you, but I want to hit you in your shins with like a sand wedge out of a fucking golf bag. So just say it's <laughs> there you go. If you like this show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all just some podcast, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our emails, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Holy shit, that went out the rails quick. That's what happens in the second opinion. You never know what you're going to get. So I like how Ben's trying to play this off. No, sir. This fight continues. <laughs> <laughs> It's cool, like ice cream. All right. Well, on that note, you can find Ben and Tom on justsomepodcast.com. I already said that. Did you? You're late. Yeah, I did. On that note, wash your damn hands, wear your damn mask. Have a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there <laughs> and not anything about avocado ice cream. No, but please, verypleasures.com, listen to the podcast and, and be safe out there sexually as well. Swearing just to pass the time Lately I see why I am alone I caught some road bridge and I thought of you And all